Colossians 3, 22 through 24. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. That's who we serve. And we're doing our study on the cross. And just the last few weeks, we've been talking about discipline, right? Discipline and the need for great need for discipline in the life of a Christian. Of course, we get the word uh, disciple uh, comes from discipline as a follower. A disciple is a follower or a learner. You don't really see so many definitions in Scripture of discipline uh, as you do see discipline in practice. You see it in practice with Christ calling those 12 disciples unto him and say, uh, saying, take my yoke and learn of me, right? I'm meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. So it's not that it's defined all over the scriptures, but it's seen all over the scriptures. It's seen in practice. Amen. And so uh, this, this is what we just read. We serve the Lord. So whatever we do in verse 23, whatsoever you do, that means whatsoever you do. Okay. So we don't have to translate it. Do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. You have to have faith. A man who has no faith or a woman who has no faith is not going to do that. We have to know that we have a reward coming from the Lord. There is an inheritance from the Lord. We believe it by faith, though we don't see it. We can't touch it, smell it. We're laying up treasures in heaven right now, and we're doing it by faith. But I always, I believe this, since, since I've been saved, I certainly believe it. If you're going to do something, then do it. If it's worth doing in the first place, if it's something that God has put in your life to do, then do it heartily as unto the Lord. Or don't do it. You know, if you know that God's called you to it and you're sure that He's called you to it, then do it. Do it both guns blazing. You know, do it, do it all out as unto the Lord. Or don't do it. Because it's not worth doing. But if it is worth doing, do it as unto the Lord. Amen? And, and there is discipline that comes in that. And then there's fruit of that discipline. We're going to talk about some of that tonight. And have some wonderful illustrations that we're going to talk about. But there is fruit of a disciplined life. Amen? And there's also fruit of an undisciplined life. And you could say it not, not even just you know in the church life, so to speak. But, but just in the natural an undisciplined life is going to have fruit to it, right? And and we have admonitions like this about whatever you do, it do it heartily as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Uh, what, whatever your, find, your hands find to do, put your hands to it and do it with all your mind. Set both hands to the plow and let's do this for the Lord. Let's make sure it's God and then let's do it. You know what I mean? If we're, if we're going to be serving in this church, for example, then let's put both hands to the plow. And I thank God for people that have and do, okay? But let's do that as unto the Lord. And I was thinking about, uh, you know, just the fruit of discipline and what comes from it, what comes. You can see it in your own life. I can see it in my own life. The times I get lazy, the times I get slack, the times I get lax in duties, responsibilities. I've talked about it before. I know 
well when our children were a little younger, even in teenage years and living at home. And I would notice us, for example, just through the busyness of life, uh, getting lax on our family prayer time. It seemed like it was impossible. It seemed like it was hurting cats to try to get everybody together. There's just four of us to get us together to pray and seek the Lord and read our Bible, even for like, like eight minutes. You know what I mean? Ten minutes. But there's a, there's a fruit that comes from doing it and there's a fruit that comes from not doing it. And we would, we would notice that. I, I noticed it in our home and our family when we weren't doing that. And uh, we need to steal those times and, and there's a discipline that, that comes to it, y'all. But anyway, I was, I was uh, just in studying the book, talking about discipline, so to speak. And one of those things is to learn to be content. The Apostle Paul said that he learned in whatever state he was in to be content. Right? Godliness. Uh, having godliness, it, there's great contentment that comes with that, Paul says. And we need to be content in the situations we are in and serve God where He's placed us. And that's kind of what I want to start with tonight. Uh, I mean, I could, I could just begin to look at anything. Our country right now, I don't think anybody in this room would say the country is the way I want the country to be. As a Bible-believing Christian, okay? We know that it's not. And yet, God wants us to be content in our hearts, content in Him. He still wants us to serve the Lord. I said it recently. You know, uh, Jesus said, I'm the light of I'm the world. I must work. I must do the works of Him that called me while it's day. The night cometh, no man can work. But obviously the night hasn't come yet. We can see the sun setting a little bit, but the night has not come yet. And so that means it's still day. As long as I'm in the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And so we walk with Christ today in the midst of darkness. We walk with Christ and we serve the Lord today. And we learn to be content. That is a witness for Christ. Our contentment in the Lord. We all know things are not the way we want them to be in our country. There might be things in your own individual life that are not at all what you want them to be. And I may not have a clue about it. It might be something in your heart between you and Jesus. And that's okay. And yet he wants us to be content in him. And I want to just begin by saying, you know, there's sometimes that people will say, if I had what, whoever, if I had what Damien and Katie had, then I, I would be content. Or if I could sing like these things, boy, then I would serve. And it's always if, 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 if my life was different, right? If I had more money, more expendable money, if I had more time, if, if my spouse loved me like so-and-so's spouse loved, loves them. And it's on and on and on that if, 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 then I would really serve the Lord fully. I could be more effective for the Lord. I don't believe that that's at all true. I believe that God wants us to be content where we are. And I believe He wants us to serve Him like we just read in Colossians heartily as unto the Lord. He may change things and, and it be like a new day tomorrow and change your circumstances in your finances or your marriage or your relationship or your time and enable you to do more. But I can tell you, you're not going to do more for the Lord tomorrow if you're not serving Him faithfully today. We have to see that 
you know, it's like prov providence. That's not a word we use a lot, but if it's God's providence that right now I am where I am, or you are where you are in life, then serve the Lord right there because that's where He has you right now. You can pray for a better day. You can pray for a circumstance to change. And we ought to. But don't use that as an excuse to not serve the Lord. You won't serve Him anymore tomorrow if you got a million dollars dropped in your lap. If you're not serving Him today. Because that comes from inward. That does not, is not based on our circumstances. I don't think you give more of a percentage or so forth if you have that. We are giving people because God has put it in our hearts to give of our time, of our finances, and serve the Lord where you are. And don't compare yourself to others and say, if I had what so-and-so had, then I would be content, first of all, and then I would serve the Lord so much more. So God, make my life like their life. He said, no, I've made your life like your life. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking about prisoners. Because over the years, Dee and I have, and, and I have done, and many of you have done a lot of prison ministry. And over the years, I've met the, uh, those, it's not just in prison, by the way, those with the jailhouse religion, that it's not sincere. As soon as they get out, they're back. And it wasn't real. It never was real, probably. It's how they coped while they were in prison. But I've also met people that are really genuinely lovers of the Lord, and their life has been transformed in prison. And I've had man after man after man come to me and, and I can tell their change when they say, I thank God that I was caught. It sounds crazy. You watch a TV show, everybody's running from the law, running from the law. And maybe, maybe I'd run from the law too, I don't know. But uh, they're glad that they got caught. And they said, because I would have been dead if I'd have stayed out there on the streets where I was. I'm glad I got caught. I'm glad I'm in prison. I came to know Jesus in prison. And they were content. They weren't banging on the cell, the bars, you know, waiting, demanding to get out. They were serving the Lord in prison. Some are fake, okay, just like outside of prison, some are fake. And some were sincere. And their hearts were changed and God gave them a contentment and a revelation of himself and who they would be without Jesus and where their life would be. And they were content. And guess what? They rolled up their sleeves and they were discipling younger guys in the prison. They were pulling them to the side and say, hey, come, come, let's go to Bible study tonight. Come with me. You understand? They're, 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 we're, it's not that your circumstances aren't what they should be. God can change them. Pray for that. Nothing wrong with that. But keep your eyes on the Lord and serve God where you are. And I just began to think, I was praying in my office earlier today, and I was thinking about those that served God in their circumstances and those that didn't. And you might think of a hundred others, but I was thinking about Elisha. Elisha, when he was first called, he was called to be Elijah's water boy. He was called to be his servant. And guess what he did? He served the Lord. He served the Lord right there. He didn't say, boy, one day Elijah's going to be taken in a whirlwind. God's going to move him out of the way and I'm going to be the man. It wasn't that. He served God fully as Elijah's servant. And God did promote him, so to speak. God did make him a prophet in the stead 
of, of Elijah when he took Elijah in the, in the fiery chariot to heaven. But Elisha later had a servant named Gehazi who did not, wasn't content. And he didn't serve the Lord. He was covetous. He wanted money. He wanted greed. You know, he was greedy. And there's, there's stories about it. Very uh, detailed account in the Bible. But there's one servant who served God where he was. One servant who didn't serve God where he was. Who wanted that second one who wanted his circumstances to be different. He was discontent with what he had. I think about David. David, when he was a shepherd, long before he was king, long before he was king, he was a shepherd. And guess what? He was content. And he was content in Jesus. And he was a shepherd boy who walked with the Lord, who was content taking care of those sheep, and he did it heartily as unto the Lord. How do we know that? Because a bear came one time and took one of the sheep, and he said, well, well, little, little deduction, little loss from the, the sheep account here. Sure not going to risk my life. But he went out and God gave him strength to, to kill the bear and get the sheep back. Same thing happened with the lion. God was making him, he was a servant there. He was making him a shepherd of Israel, which he became. And God made an everlasting, that will never end, covenant with David. How about that? But that's somebody that served God in his circumstances. Here's Saul, the first king of Israel, who started out humble, got lifted up in his own sight, who did not serve the Lord faithfully, but wanted to serve his kingdom and have his kingdom serve him. And he lost everything. Paul and Silas in prison. They weren't demanding their release. They were praising God at midnight. We preached on it not too many Sundays ago. And and many people got saved as a result. We at least know the Philippian jailer and his family got saved. I could go on and on. There was a Shunammite woman and her husband that used to watch uh, Elisha pass by. And they said, this guy's a prophet. Let's, let's make a little chamber for him. We're going to get him a bed on the wall here, a table, a little stool, and a candlestick. They said, when they saw him pass by, hey, turn in here and start when you pass through and you're traveling through, stay here with us. And they were just serving God how they could and where they could. And we see so many examples of that. There was a little, the Bible says in John, a little lad, a little boy with two fishes and five barley loaves. He just served God where he was. And he brought that to the Lord. And 5,000 men plus the women and children were fed and God was glorified and we're still talking about it today. 2,000 years ago. So the, the discipline comes in in the sense of being, learning to be content. Paul said, I've learned to be content. And the discipline comes in and saying, I'm going to serve God heartily by faith where I am. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and... I'm just picturing maybe they're losing their health and they're not young and they can't go hit the streets with a bunch of tracks in their hands. But they can call people and encourage their brothers and sisters in Christ. And they can pray. They can get along with God and touch heaven and pray for their country and for the church and for the pastors across the country and for the lost people. You understand what I'm saying? That we say, well, if I had two good feet and I could hit hit the road and, and win so many souls to the Lord. He's saying, well, I haven't given you two good feet right now. But you can get on your knees and pray. 
I'm just using those for examples. Paul said, I've learned to be content. It is a learned attribute, okay? And to serve the Lord in that way. Amy Carmichael wrote this. She says, what then is discipline? And she wrote a lot of poetry, okay? And things are like in stanzas. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. But she says this. And, and she, she gave up a life that would have been uh, a life, I would say, more affluent and at ease and someone that she was going to marry and so forth to go live and, and die as a single woman on the mission field uh, in very, very unpleasant circumstances. If you know anything about her life, the heat and the poverty and, and all of it was going on with the, in, in the Hindu culture and in India and what specifically she was called to do, okay? But she says this, when I refuse the easy thing for the love of my dear Lord, and when I choose the harder thing for the love of my dear Lord, and I don't make a fuss about it or speak a grumbling, single grumbling word, that's discipline. When everything seems going wrong, when it is hot and I'm tired, and yet I will not complain, but sing a song and do my work, that is discipline. When Satan says, skip your work, slack a bit, and I say, I won't, and I'll rule myself, he says, for, for others and for the Lord, that is discipline. You know, these things are down to earth. They're not high and lofty, just ideals that are detached from life. Discipline is very much part of your life. If you have to get up early to pray every day, it, you're, you might be tired. You have to try to go to bed a little bit earlier. You make some arrangements in your life. It's very real. It's very practical. And there's very much a reward for that. And it is part of dying to self because self doesn't want to do that. Self wants to stay up all night and watch movies and, and eat popcorn. Okay? Watch reruns of Andy Griffith and, and stay up all night and, and eat popcorn. That's what your flesh wants to do. But God's, you know, God makes us discipline. It's not that we don't have any fun. Please understand that. It's that, that if we're doing something for the Lord, we do it heartily as unto the Lord. Amen? And I believe, and I know Alberto has spoken of this. I've spoken of it. Others have from the pulpit before. But all the difficulties of life are to teach us discipline. All the difficulties of life, illness, um, relationships not being what they should be, uh, hard environment at work. Why didn't God just give me a job with a thousand, you know, or a ten, office full of ten strong preachers? Every one of them is a preacher and, and godly and loves the Lord. You know what I mean? Comes with a smile and encourages me, and there's never a curse word. And, well, He's put you there. He can move you. and Nothing wrong with praying if God has shown you to pray for another environment. But He's put you there. And all those difficulties in life are to teach you to come to the cross and let the Lord work in your life to make you more like Jesus. Less of me, more of Him. It's not a day that that's finished, by the way, until we see the Lord and we're like Him at the rapture. Between now and then, the most mature Christian is still becoming more mature. 
is still has a need daily to take up his cross and I himself follow the Lord. And God is using those difficulties. I would say this if we if we let him. So can I tell you something? I'll tell myself at the same time, let him. The difficulties come. Are you going to let the difficulties make you more like Jesus? Or are you just going to have difficulties? With no benefit and no profit. You know, we need to wise up, so to speak, and come to the Lord and say, teach me what you're wanting to teach me. Make me what you're wanting to make me. I yield. I yield to it. Lord, I wish my circumstances were different. I pray they're different. But long as, as Lord, as long as you have me here, teach me to be content. If you move me, you move me. When you move me, you move me. But until that day, I don't want to whine and grumble and complain, not even inwardly. I want to go and I want to serve the Lord where I am. And that takes faith and it takes the Lord's help. It takes very much of the Lord's help to do that. Amen. And so we have a lack of discipline in our churches, y'all. It's not just the individual lives we see in in our churches. I, I really, I really am starting to see more and more. Not that I have some special insight, but in Luke, where where I think Luke uh, eighteen, I believe, where where Jesus says, "Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith?" On the earth, I really am starting to see that. Uh, yeah, I see. I see how that sentence and that thought makes sense. People are undisciplined. Christians are undisciplined. The divorce rate within the church is the same as, as the divorce rate basically outside of the church. Uh, it's not a blanket condemnation, by the way, on every believer, every church. I'm saying as a whole. There's a, a lack of discipline in our lives and in our churches as a whole, and there's fruit to that. There are consequences to that, and there's fallout from that. People don't speak into the, another person's life about sin because they're afraid of being called judgmental. They don't speak to a pastor about error from the pulpit because they don't want to be called a Pharisee or legalistic are judgmental, they don't want to touch God's anointed, and so forth. And so there's just this total misunderstanding and ignorance of the Scriptures, a total lack of spiritual maturity, and the result is you have undisciplined bodies of believers, if they're even believers, or a mixed multitude, basically, of some believers and some that aren't. If we go to the Bible... And the Bible says, if brothers, if any man be overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, go and restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Consider yourselves, lest you also be tempted, right? So it says, go to them. Right? Is there not anybody spiritual that can go to another person in love? We don't have to broadcast it to the whole church who can go and say, you know, I'm totally making this up, Alberto. I'm concerned about you, brother. The Lord showed me something or I've noticed something about your life and I want to speak it into your life. Is there anybody that can do that in our churches? Is anybody that know that they had that responsibility to do that? Because that helps. It not only helps, it's a, it's a need. It is a necessity within the body. 
If parents that are in here and you have children, don't you discipline your children? I sure hope so. If not, they're going to be undisciplined. There will be fruit of that. It doesn't take long to see that. And so we have in our churches the same thought. There's an ignorance to the Word of God. There's an immaturity in the body. They don't, people don't know the Scriptures. They don't know their own responsibility. Somebody along the line has told them they're judgmental if they do that. Judgmental. Okay? You can be judgmental in a, in a, with a horrible, arrogant attitude and that's ungodly. Or you can judge spiritually like God says to do and rebukes those for not doing. For example, in Corinth, when a man's committing uh, incest with his mother in the church and the people let it go on and thought, uh, we're, look how much grace we're showing to these people. So it, what did it do? It continued and continued within the church. And Paul says, come on now, is there not anybody spiritual? Don't you know you're going to judge angels one day? And you can't judge this least little, not little, but you can't judge something that's so obvious. He didn't say hate them. He didn't say shoot them. He said, go to them and judge them. Separate from them. Let them know that what they're doing is not acceptable. This is not of God. It's serious. You need to stop it. He was still practicing it. Okay? And so that's just an example of, to me, the lack of discipline and then the fruit of the lack of discipline. To me, the fruit of it is is very serious and that's why God tells us there's a fruit of prayerlessness for example there's a fruit of not giving financially there's a fruit of not showing up consistently at church there's a fruit of not uh, your own prayer life you know and things like that uh, uh, neglecting these things not serving the Lord not sharing the gospel with somebody there'll come a point if you don't ever share the gospel with somebody you're never going to want to you probably won't do it Something's got to jumpstart you to do it. And the more we do it, the more we desire to do it. But anyway, I thank the Lord. Everybody's not undisciplined. I praise God for those that, that are disciplined and are serving the Lord. But one of those areas, and I mentioned it, was with the lives of our, of our children, for example. And my, my boys are older at this point, but um, it doesn't you know, prohibit me from speaking to this. And, and again, I'm just going to say this in general. This is not pointing the finger at anyone. I'm saying, say in our churches, for example, many parents suffer uh, a real painful time at the cross themselves. I'm talking about Christian parents through trying to learning to discipline their children because they themselves never came to the cross to really not that they're not saved, perhaps, but they never really themselves let the cross have its full work in their life. So therefore, they have a real hard time disciplining their children and they end up being permissive and letting, letting things slide. And we, we're seeing a result of that, that many children in our churches, I think, are denied, and that's a good word for it, denied proper godly discipline. It's a blessing, by the way. You're doing it for a reason. The parent is disciplining the child for a very concrete, obvious reason. 
And a lot of a lot of parents don't discipline their children the way they should because they themselves are undisciplined. And they just go, oh, it's not that bad. And then we'll let it go. And I know I said I would ground them if they did this again, but blah, 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 Because they're undisciplined themselves. The parents need to get let the cross have its work in their lives. And, and then they were able to do it. And the Bible says that in, in Proverbs 13, he who spares his rod hates his son. Now there's another one about he spared the rod and spoiled the child. This says he who spares his rod hates his son. But I think if you went on, well, they don't have Oprah anymore, but any one of these talk shows like this, they would... They would say just the opposite. You just have to never raise your voice, never raise your hand, never do anything to crush the child's self-esteem or anything like this. And I'm not talking at all about anything ungodly and abusive. Please understand. I am saying that the Bible says he who spares the rod hates his son. There's a, if we have to have the, the faith to know there's a reason why I discipline my children. It's not just because they aggravate me when they're misbehaving. They're not going to be a child forever. Tomorrow they're going to be an adult. And what they're learning now, and every step of the way, helps to produce that godly character in their life. I'm not talking a whole long time tonight, but I wanted to, to pretty much close with this thought. And... It's a wonderful example on that about the discipline and, and the parents especially, okay? Uh, I have an illustration about Doc, uh, Hudson Taylor, okay? Hudson Taylor, we all know he was the founder of the Inland China, uh, China Inland Mission and he came from a very disciplined background. His upbringing as a child. We don't have any insight to know if his parents knew, hey, one day young Hudson's going to grow up and be found the China Inland Mission and be used greatly for the Lord. We do know that they were godly parents. I'm going to read a little bit here in a moment. And they instilled discipline into young Hudson Taylor to where he learned how to work and he, and he learned how to, uh, to be responsible and to put first things first and so forth. We don't know if he, I know God can do anything, but it's, it would be interesting to know in the, in the mysteries of God and the ways of God, would this man have become as useful to the Lord? And in order to be that useful to the Lord, he had to be fully dedicated. It was no half-hearted thing. He was all in. You understand what I'm saying? However, the church grew, and the Christianity that's in China today is pretty much a result of Hudson Taylor. Okay? Now, I can't make a blanket statement that that's every believer, but God no doubt used him to help change a whole country. And so he grew up, and his father's name was James Taylor, and he was, uh, it can't, he, and Hudson was saying later in life in some writings, that it cannot be overstated the importance of the discipline that his father put into his life. I don't know that young Hudson Taylor probably realized or appreciated it every step of the way, 
being disciplined, but later in life he looked back and he says, it can't be overstated how this God used this in my life. Amen? And so again, what does the Bible compare a Christian to? In one sense, being a good soldier, right? A good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his, his father was a disciplinarian and uh, he says, Hudson Taylor was saying, do we not suffer these days from too great a tendency to slackness and easy going? Even Christian parents seem content if they can just keep their children moderately happy and well-tempered. Just keep them, keep them happy and keep them from being just, you know, so bad they would be thrown into Angola. Let, let them be respectful of people around them and so forth. That's not, it's, with James Taylor, this was not the, the case. Life, he said, had to be lived and work must be account accomplished. People uh, may have consecrated, this is from his father, people may, may be consecrated, gifted, devoted, and yet of very little use because they are undisciplined. And so I agree with that statement. I'm not, I'm not the poster child for discipline, by the way. I'm simply saying I believe this teaching. I see the value of it. I, I see that it's something that's lacking in society. It's lacking in individuals. It's lacking in homes. It's lacking in churches. And as a result, there is fruit. And the, those that are more disciplined and most disciplined in a godly sense, not anything abusive, not anything perverted, not anything of our own doing, but in a godly sense, according to the Word of God, that's going to have fruit. It's going to have fruit to it. And so somebody can be consecrated, gifted, and devoted, and yet of no use. Because they're not disciplined. They don't put their hand to the plow. You cannot count on them. They don't stick with it when it gets hard, like Amy Carmichael did when the devil whispers, it's hot today, you're tired, slack off on your work. She did a lot of the, the, the manual stuff and mopping the floors and getting the food ready. That isn't all she did, but she did that kind of stuff. And they were, it was an orphanage. They're taking rescuing girls from, you know, these Hindu girls from these situations and so forth and bringing them to Christ. And yet there's, there's fruit when that, that came from that, that disciplined life. And I'm about to close, but this man, James Taylor, was a man with a supreme sense of duty. He said the thing that ought to be done was the thing that was to be put first. Always. You say, well, that's true, Ridge. You can't even bend a little bit. I'm not going to answer that. I'm simply saying God used that to produce Hudson Taylor. God did it, but he used that. And Hudson Taylor realized that this is what was used in his life to make him the man of God that he became. Because what God called him to demanded more than just consecration and giftedness and devotion. It demanded discipline. It demanded putting your hands to the plow and sticking with it and hard work. And so we just need to see this is not, again, this is not rigid, and I said it last week, it's not speaking of joylessness. It's not speaking of, 
of love, loveless, or anything like that, unloving, cruel, harsh, joyless, it's godly, it's wise to be disciplined ourselves and let that discipline whoever God has in our lives that we can discipline. It's profitable. It's glorifying to God. And it produce, produces godliness and godly fruit. And I want to just close with this scripture. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read uh, quite a few verses here, but we're going to close with this tonight. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. Now right before this, he said in verse 3, Consider him, consider Jesus, that endured such contra contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So as we're being disciplined, as we're going through trials, as we're serving the Lord, and it's hard, and it's a little harder today than yesterday, and a little hotter today than yesterday, and God says, keep serving me, keep serving me. He says, consider Jesus. Consider Him who endured such contradiction of, of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily, those earthly fathers, for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, for our what? Profit. God's chastening us for our profit. We said earlier, every trial you go through, if you'll let it, God's using it to make us more disciplined. He's using it to make us more like Christ. He's using this to bring more death to ourselves. That, that we might be partakers of His holiness. Well, that's a profit. Amen? That's a benefit. That's worth it. That's worth But you have to have faith if you don't really believe this and you're just religious, for, for example, or trying it out because you like, you're on a Christianity fad for about six months. You're not going to submit to this and not going to pursue after this. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyful. <laughs> Joyous, isn't that amazing? None of it at the time you're enduring it in and of itself seems to be joyous. Getting spanked is not joyous at any time. Getting grounded from something you wanted to do, really wanted to do, at that moment is not joyous. None of it, okay? No chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. But there's a key word that it says seems to be. Nevertheless, afterward, 
it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, this is the admonition, lift up the hands which hang down to the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. He's just a, it's just a wonderful admonition and encouragement. Look, it doesn't seem fun at the time. Granted, he's telling us that. It's not doesn't seem to be joyous. No chastening. Now we're talking about the Lord. The Lord's chastening is not fun. He might humble us when we're lifted up and that we'd stung. We thought we were way further along in Jesus than we were. And he smote us and knocked us down a peg or two. And it hurt. It hurt to see myself really that I was not nearly what I thought I was. Or maybe in this area, it hurt. But thank God for it. Because he, he wants me to be a partaker of his holiness. Afterwards, it's going, to be, it's going to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them that are exercised thereby. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He's not chastening those that aren't his children. He's chastening those. Now, there'll be wrath poured out on those that aren't his children if they remain not his children. But for his children, whom he loves, he chastens. Just like your children that you love, you chasten. You chasten. You don't beat them mercilessly. You don't want to destroy them. You want them to have fruit in their lives of godliness and maturity. Amen? And y'all, I don't... I was just reading this today. and D, you can come on up if you would. I started reading this book, which I read before, The Valley of Vision. A lot of y'all may have read this, this prayer book. And I don't know why. I just want to close with this tonight. It ties in somewhat to what we're, what we're talking about, about the cross and dying to ourselves and live, living a, a disciplined life pursuing the Lord. So I want to ask if y'all would stand with me. And I'm just going to read this prayer. Even now as I'm reading it, if God's leading you to come to the altar and pray, or make an altar where you are. Just listen to the prayer. This is the first prayer in the whole book. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, that has brought me to the valley of vision, where I live in the depths, but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox. Here's the discipline part. Let me learn that the way down is the way up. That to be low is to be high. That the broken heart is the healed heart. That the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from deepest wells, and the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley.
If you're in a valley right now, look for God's glory right there. Amen? Look for God's hand right there. Look for the goodness of God. Look for the strength of God. Look for the mercy of God. Look for the glory of God right there. Pray for it. Not just for your circumstances to change. You're there because He's allowed you to be there. And He wants you to grow and learn right there. Father, we come before You. Oh, Lord Jesus. God, I don't believe there's one of us here that would claim to be perfected in this area. We see, God, our great need of discipline. Even if we're pretty much disciplined people, we see the great need of discipline. And by faith, Lord, we see the fruit that comes and that we hope to come and that You desire to produce in our lives from discipline. I pray, God, that in our valleys and in our deep wells and in our poverty, and in our despair and in our trials that we would look up and see the Lord and your hand upon our lives you're working in our lives and Lord you would we would see that hope Jesus you endured the cross for the hope that was set before you and God we want to endure the trials of life and the chastenings of the Lord Jesus in our lives for the hope that's set before us, God. I pray you'd make us a godly people. By faith, God, we would see it's not just a trial. By faith, my God is working in my life to make me more like my Savior. Let us lay hold on that truth. Let us lay hold on you and give us contentment in the midst of our circumstances, God, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord.